Hey guys, it's me back again with another episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. This episode was actually recorded a couple of months ago uh, before I took my little break and it features my dear friend Laura. You may know her from Laura in Wanderland. She's also a wonderful eco-conscious ocean warrior, conservationist and plastic-free advocate. She's very inspirational and in today's episode we talk about everything from how to make apple cider vinegar to how little people in the community do make a difference when we join together and of course a cool project she did which was new when we edited I mean when we recorded this a little while ago and that was a full audit of her closet so sit back relax and learn some wisdom from the eco-conscious queen herself Lauren Waterland make sure to check her out on Instagram and Facebook she has plenty of helpful tips and tricks and of course follow Ocean Pancake or me diver cat uh so we can stay in touch thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast follow it on spotify and all those other places it would mean the world to me and it really helps me out before further ado this is laura in waterland every day there's a new story about the crisis facing our ocean whether it's the plastic issue overfishing pollution if the oceans die we die Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So, welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. I'm joined by Laura in Waterland, and this is her second time she's on the podcast, and I'm so excited to have you back. Thank you for being here. Oh no, you invited me a second time. That's pretty amazing that you want me back, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just absolutely love your content. Um, not only is it beautifully aesthetic, uh, you're going to have to give me some tips on how to keep <laughs> keep my uh, content look so beautiful, but it's also very interesting and talks about topics that I don't think are as discussed in the sustainability and ocean conservation world as often. Um, so let's basically dive in. Also, for anyone who hasn't listened to the first episode, I highly recommend you go and check it out. I'm not sure what number it is, but I will insert it in the intro. It's number eight. Number eight. Wow, eight. I think I'm on like 55 now. Amazing. It's been a while. <laughs> Congratulations, 55. Wow. Thank you. Um, so since then, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing since the last time uh, you were on Ocean Pancake? All right. Um, this is pretty recent. So I used to live in Indonesia, um, specifically in Bali, especially the last four or five years. And I used to do a lot of cleanups there and talk about sustainability more through the lens of someone living in Asia, uh, as well as someone with privilege, because obviously living in Asia as um, a white um, woman with like this uh, financials that are um, most of the time above the population 
um, I had access to more things as well. But uh, now I've moved to Europe. I've moved back to Europe because I'm from Europe. I am currently visiting family and I'll be in Ireland settling down there hopefully very soon. And now I'm going to have a different lens. Uh, it's interesting to come back here and see how people live and how sustainability is over here. It's a little bit different as well. And yeah, I'm going to actually relearn a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to change anything about my lifestyle. I'm just going to adapt. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see the changes. So that's what's been happening. A massive move for me, actually. That is a very big move because I don't know if you realize, but Bali is actually the closest, like <laughs> closest place to where I live in um, northwestern Australia. So mm -hmm. you guys are actually the closest like big city, like closer than any of the Australian cities. Oh, wow. That's yeah, that's that's crazy when you think about it. But Australia is massive. So it does make sense. Yeah, yeah. I was so excited to go visit Bali. But of course, um, the recent situation means that all the borders are still closed. But um, when I do go, I'll be asking you for all the tips and checking out your website to uh, find the best uh, eco-friendly stays in Bali. <laughs> yes, and restaurants. I'll give you all the tips for vegan restaurants too. It's, oh, I, so I do have a blog on it, but I, I do have to update it because some of them have closed, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, before we get into the particulars of some of the content you've created and the knowledge you've amassed, from kind of this first big change you've done from Bali to Europe, what differences have you been seeing um, in terms of just the general attitudes towards sustainability or any of the other things you may have noticed? Well, I've been in quarantine for quite a while. And then straight after my quarantine, I came to my mom. So I went from my sister's house to my mom's house and we're not really seeing anyone. But in general, um, I can see from my family that they, act they actually do care quite a bit. Um, they, my sister started caring a lot when she started having children and she was more um, aware of the impact of food, um, organic food, etc. She just laundry, powder, just, just all these little things. Uh, my mom, I mean, of course, she's a different generation as well. She's just trying not to waste too much and she just amazes me i've learned actually quite a few tricks from her uh on this day here she's told me uh, she's learned quite a few tricks from me i finally got her to compost uh, she just received today actually just 30 minutes before we started this post podcast um her composting bin just got delivered so and in general i think the population is aware more than they used to be when I was still living here 10 years ago. And the world is changing everywhere. And that's really, really nice to see. Now, I don't know how much people actually act and I'm going to need a bit more time to figure that out, I guess. Yeah, so you would have just had that immediate, you know, reaction of your family. And I, yes. I, I remember when I do go back home, I'm always so pleasantly surprised to see how much of the things I've been talking about have translated to my family's um, kind of day-to-day -day life and then yeah as you said just learning tricks from my mom from our moms because you know the things they know as well <laughs> yes oh for sure for for cleaning she just 
she just knows all the tricks you know you oh mom i got a stain on this and she's like oh well just use that you know it's natural and it's gonna get it right out um but then she didn't know she could make her own apple cider vinegar and stuff like that so we're, we're learning of each other and it's really amazing but it's interesting what you said about family i kind of just just want to jump back on that because I've influenced my family and you just said you've influenced your family a little bit as well and I think that shows the influence that everybody has because influencers online like you and me we can try to tell strangers to do this or to do that and advise and recommend Mm -hmm. things but at the end of the day maybe they don't trust us maybe they do right but you're still just a stranger but um if it's someone you know, a friend or a member of your family or a neighbor, you're going to want to, you're going to be influenced way more. You're going to want to copy more. You're going to think, well, if they can do it, I know them. They have a busy life. They do this, they do that. And maybe I can do it too. And it actually, there is a study that proves just this. It was more about financials, but for example, um, they studied neighborhoods. Neighborhoods are always, people are quite similar um, I think it was in the States and they were looking at people who won the lottery and okay, that's not sustainable, all of this stuff, but so the people who won the lottery were spending more money. Maybe they bought a small boat or something like that or SUPs or whatever. And the study showed that their neighbors were more likely to go bankrupt as people in other neighborhoods who didn't live next to someone who had won the lottery because they saw their neighbor buy this and buy that and have this lifestyle and they wanted the lifestyle and so they put themselves into debt more. Um, So I think if we kind of think about this in terms of sustainability, we can see that, yeah, we all have influence and that can be positive or negative, it's our choice, right? And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be an expert, you can just influence people on the little things that you're comfortable with in sustainability that's my thought no I think you've you've voiced it very well there I I do know looking around the neighborhood like where I live it's kind of depressing honestly (laughs) I mean we're part of it as well we also have two cars and our own boat and it's just that's the standard here so everyone's kind of whether it's conscious or subconsciously spending um more of their money Um, just to kind of, you know, be in that standard, because that's just what life is here. Um, While, you know, if you're living in an apartment in Europe, um, especially in like France and Switzerland, Switzerland, they like make you pay for every garbage bag that you use. Therefore, everyone's so much more pedantic about recycling and making sure it's all okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just interesting um, difference for sure. (laughs) Um, And you did imagine, imagine, Oh, sorry, I'm, no. I cut you off there. Imagine if instead of cars in the boat, it was uh, everybody's growing their own food to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, whatever's local. That would be that would be uh, amazing, you know, because that would, yeah, just help with food waste, help with um, eating locally and organically. So yeah, it's yeah. it's hard. I know. I try and. Like personally, I, I like, just like you advise or recommend for people to grow their own food and, you know, as much as we can. But this place I live, it's like a desert. So the oh, amount of, of like fertilizer and soil I have to buy and water I use to like grow, like I am growing things. I have some cute tomatoes happening, some nice capsicum, you know, some like little bell peppers. 
<laughs> I'm just thinking like the amount of water I'm using, is it worth it? One day, maybe I'll do the math and figure out like if it's actually more sustainable in a place like this where, you know, not yeah. much is meant to grow apart from some very spiky endemic plants. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're right. It definitely depends on where you live and it's not accessible to everyone. Um, and, and also, if you don't have much time and you don't, you know, it can be local. Like I know that here, for example, rosemary grows a little bit wild, dill as well, pepper. I've been doing a lot of uh, foraging with my mom. And so it doesn't have to be much, but it can be a little bit to start but yeah, I mean, it's not it's not the only thing you can do. There's so many things um, you can do to be a bit more sustainable. That was just one idea that I put out there. Yeah, no, but it's a good one. And foraging. I think that is something we need to kind of push more or create more of a movement around. Um, I'm sure there is a large community that does forage, but the amount of like endemic local plant species, even here that... Um, the First Nations people know about and then they do some cultural tours and things that we can go on and then learn about bush tucker which is you know the mm -hmm. the food they find out here in the bush and it's amazing there's all these wild passion fruits and wild onions and we just have no idea we're walking over it every day even in a desert like Karatha the Pilbara um, there's still so much food we could find it's so, true you're kind of making me hungry <laughs> but yeah we, we our knowledge about food is not enough and i mean we eat only a tiny percentage of what is actually edible edible sorry on this planet so yeah there's definitely a lack of knowledge there that i hope i hope to bridge mine i hope to learn more in the coming years on this because it's definitely lacking yeah i definitely want to learn more about what is edible and it's interesting who decided what goes into the supermarkets and why is it only these five particular species of apples i just saw a post a couple of days ago about a retired engineer that saved like 130 different species of apple from going extinct and you know we're all eating pink ladies or the green ones you know why is our food become so narrow and just yes. standardized <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and the more and the more diverse we eat and the more wholesome wholesome the better it is for us as well so and for the planet i mean we're gonna have to change probably anyway the way we eat because some of the foods the way if if the climate keeps going i don't want to be negative but the way things are going now we're gonna have to diversify our food sources and um, the species that we eat because some of yeah some things some things are going to get harder to grow if we do, if we do go down that road of um, food scarcity so yeah. yeah well we'll see but we'll, we'll see have what happens <laughs> we'll have plenty of other stuff but we'll just have to um, diversify that's it yeah and I don't think you're being negative I mean maybe I'm too negative but the research I've been doing is like oh um, this is happening. We have to prepare essentially for a very different future. And there is mm -hmm. going to be significant changes in the coral and the biodiversities and the population zones of where animals are going to be living because the climate is changing. But now we're yes. just dealing with how much and how do we respond to it. Um, so yes. 
yeah, <laughs> scary uh, pathway down there. But, it's, it's scary, yes. But uh, rather before going doom and gloom, you did quickly just mention um, that you taught your mom how to make apple cider vinegar. And I was wondering, can you give us a quick just recipe here? Because I want to write that down so I can go do that after this podcast. <laughs> There's plenty of recipes that probably will give you a better uh, thing of like deciliters or like uh, mm-hmm. how many cores. But I just kind of always, um, this is my problem. I can never give people a recipe because I just, it's it's just an, an instinct and I just do things and I taste test and maybe not the apple cider vinegar, but basically it's water in a bottle. You put apple cores in there if you don't eat them. And then you can put, uh, you put a little bit of sugar too. And you don't close that bottle. You just put, uh, let's say a cloth uh, mm-hmm. that you secure with a, a band or, um, or some rope. And you leave it in a cool, dry place, maybe your garage your, or whatever, um, or in a cupboard in your kitchen for about two weeks. And you should have uh, apple cider vinegar up, up, up after these two weeks. And then you just train out the, the liquid to, so that you don't have the apple cores in there anymore. You compost them. And that's it. You can you can pretty much use it from then, or you just can close it up and let it to ferment a little bit more as well. So that's oh. pretty much how you do it. And you Very can use simple. it as well as um, like not just for cleaning. I use I use apple cider vinegar as a conditioner. And when people, you know, when I first learned about that, I was thinking, oh, that sounds like it wouldn't work. And I was, it's actually amazing. You have. Super silky, smooth hair. After that, you don't. Um, it does take out the knots. Um, it's very, very impressive. And you just put one part apple cider vinegar and um, into five parts, I think it is, of water. And yeah, that's it. And you rinse it, and you're good to go. It doesn't really keep the smell because a lot of people are scared about that. But my hair doesn't smell like apple cider vinegar personally because it's diluted so well. Oh, yeah. So it's just the initial kind of when you're pouring it on your head, you might smell it, but then afterwards it goes away. Yeah. Or you can put it into a repurposed uh, little spraying bottle um, if you have that, you know. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, lots of different ways. No, that's that's a very good point and good tip. I'm going to, well, I usually eat my apple cores, but if I ever make a dish where I don't need them, not cores, uh, skins, uh, if I ever... Mm -hmm you know, that, that's a definitely oh, yeah, I, I, to use it. Yeah. <laughs> I just save some. The core. Oh, the core. Yeah, I, I never, I didn't grow up eating up the cores. I know some people do. And I was amazed. I didn't even know you could do it. You know, as a child, you're told not to eat your core. So you <laughs> leave it out, but yeah, you, you can eat them. But because I grew up not eating them, now it's kind of something I don't, I just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. I could. No, I um, I I eat most of my fruit just because it's usually easier than finding a bin. So even like a kiwi, I'll just eat the whole thing, skin and everything. Um, yes, you can eat the skin. I bet I bet many people don't know that you can eat the kiwi skin. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, I do think the the for some reason the kiwis in Europe are a bit hairier. But mm-hmm. I remember this clear as day. One of my like uh, classmates in year three 
brought a kiwi to school and he ate it like an apple and all of us like freaked out like we're running around like oh my god Habib ate the whole thing and we just we couldn't deal with it um and then later in life I was looking at this kiwi like I was an adult by this point and I was like huh I don't have a spoon or a knife like what if I just try it and then since then I've just been eating it because it's it's like way less effort I don't have to wash dishes and then you know there's just a tiny little piece left which is like the stock I guess part mm -hmm. um yeah no it's fine if it's not the super thick hairy skins then it's definitely very comfortable and I think most of the nutrients are also stored in the skin just like apples and a heap of other fruits um yes yeah I no longer peel my carrots I barely ever peel potatoes anymore either mm -hmm. and um I try to use carrot tops when when they sell the carrot with the, the greens on mm. top as well I use it in pesto because that has so many nutrients you know and um i eat the the leaves of the courgette and pumpkin plants i also put that in pesto you can also um cook them with like onion and garlic and a little bit of oil and it is great we never think about this but if the plant is producing edible fruit most of the time the leaves are going to be edible too i think one of the exceptions that i can think of at the top of my head right now is tomatoes i think you sh you're not supposed to eat too many of the leaves you can eat a couple but you shouldn't eat too many of them at, at a time. But yeah, most of the time, um, double check, don't poison yourself, but you can eat all of these plants that are like producing edible fruit. The flowers are edible as well, the leaves, you know? So yeah, again, we need to diversify. <laughs> I had no idea, but I should, I'm definitely gonna start. Well, I don't, I don't think they sell the carrot tops up here. I don't know, once I'm yeah. back in a, in a normal city. <laughs> Yeah, I supermarkets don't in general. It's mostly a like farmers market sometimes keep the tops, but I think they cut it because since it's um the nutrients go to the leaves. Mm -hmm. So when they harvest it, they cut the tops so that the nutrients then stay in the carrot and you get more nutrients in what people are gonna cook with. So it makes sense that they're cutting it, but at the same time if you do have them sold with your carrots, don't throw them out. Use them in pesto. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, we don't have farmers markets here, unfortunately. And I think that's one of the, you know, top tips you always tell people, um, you know, head to the local farmers market because that's supporting locals and it's usually in season and it's more sustainable and it's easier to avoid packaging and everything yeah. like that. Yeah, <sighs> but for yeah. sure, that's a, that's a problem. Like the the availability of all these healthy, wholesome foods, plastic-free, organic, that's, that should be available to everyone everywhere. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately it's not. And that's, that's a massive social issue too, because um, if these things were more available to everyone, everybody would be more healthy, they would be happier, they would, you know, they would, and, and then they they could pay more attention as well. Of course, I also I be, I believe a lot in individual action and changes, but I do believe as well that we need global change from the government, from corporations. Mm -hmm. I do speak about that a lot. I just focus on these conversation about individual changes because that's what we can do now ourselves. Um, 
easily yeah. or not depending on what the tip is you know not everybody has to do the same sustainable thing everybody can be different no that's that's a good point like and i think a lot of people when they hear us talking about buying eco-friendly or buying less or buying secondhand that they're like well it's actually the government who needs to and that's the thing just by doing these things doesn't mean you're not voting or not believing in like big institutional change but I don't know it's you know all the little things will add up and especially if more yes. people are doing them I hope and I mean if you want the governments and the corporations to change one big thing they listen to is money I mean they exactly. follow the money yeah it's it's like individual change it you you need to strike you need to vote you need to you know to do all of these other things mm-hmm. but individual change does contribute to system system change which is what we also really really need so all the things you're doing they matter more than just you um skipping plastic at the supermarket it's it's they like if you do that and somebody else does that like you just said it adds up and all these corporations that supermarket is going to say well we see a drop of sales in plastic wrapped vegetables of like i don't know 30 percent this month and now um the month before was only 20%. So it's increasing. So we got to do something about that. We don't want to lose the customers. We need them to stay. So what are we going to do? We're going to ditch the plastic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's much more problem with supermarkets anyway, with the food waste they produce even before it reaches your shelves yeah, or after. Um, so that's another big problem, but it's just an example. I just took the supermarkets, but it could be applied everywhere. Whatever you use your money for, there's various people whose job it is to survey and do a market do market research and know what the people want and the government also does look at that you know so because politicians want your vote so they're gonna act on the things that they see the people care about i think obama before Mm -hmm. he was elected president said he was against gay marriage um oh really and then I think so. I mean, don't quote me on that, but I believe that was what uh, he he was saying because he wanted to get more votes of everyone. And that was what the population was kind of saying. And then while he was president, um, then he, then it's, you know, then now people can get married. um, I mean, in the States. So it's, um, it's changed while he was president and he was always for it, but he said what uh, what needed to be said and then he did what the people what the people wanted because afterwards while he was president people were striking to um allow gay marriage and he was like all right let's do this because that's what the people wanted so we we have so much more power than we think with the strikes with what we buy it all matters so i just got carried away This episode is sponsored by you guys. Thank you for all the support you have given me over the past few years. You can support financially by donating or buying yourself a t-shirt by repping the Ocean Pancake Project. Uh, back to your um, blog, though. So I've been I've been following you for what is it now? Three, four years? It's crazy how fast time is going. Uh, but one of the things I've really loved is how you take the time to explain things which aren't, you know, the most basic, so not the the five easiest zero waste swaps or whatever, you know, the trendy thing is. 
but you talk about a lot of um, sustainable travel and then a sustainable clothing as well. And recently you did um, your whole, what was it, deep dive into your closet. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, it's, uh, I used to be actually a shopaholic. Um, so I used to consume clothes like crazy. I, in college especially, I lived close to the mall. So if I had a free period and I didn't want to walk all the way home, I would go to the mall and I would end up in Zara or H&M, which was, I mean, there are some of the worst offenders out there um, in terms of the fashion industry and how polluting it is. So I knew when I came back to Europe, my sister has been keeping all of my clothes for me in her attic and I knew I had a lot. And I've, over the years, every time I visited, I started decluttering, um, but I still had a lot. So I did a last big declutter this time. And I was thinking, I want to know what's in my closet because I've been taking part in campaigns from Fashion Revolution where they say what's uh, who made my clothes, what are my clothes made of, etc. And so I was like, well, what are my clothes made of? Who made them? Where? And uh, where did I buy them? Do I own more fast fashion or ethical or secondhand? And I was definitely convinced I had more ethical, uh, I mean, secondhand, sorry, clothes that I actually do have because I used to buy so much. Mm -hmm. And so I figured out that I have over 80% uh, fast fashion. I, I went and I looked at what I was keeping and I took, uh, I looked at the tag, the materials I recorded, I recorded where it was made, um, the brand so that I would know if it's fast fashion or ethical. And I do have a good memory about my clothes. So I, I knew if it was a gift or if it was mm -hmm. me that bought it online or in a store or in a, you know, on eBay or in an op shop, etc. And so I did like a big database. And when I I made graphs. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> this is why I'm asking you about it. I'm like, as a scientist, I love it. <laughs> Tell me about oh, yeah. the graphs. <laughs> yeah. Mm, sexy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought pie charts would be the best way to visually share this um, rather than pictures of the closet or just writing it down, uh, especially on Instagram. It's a very visual platform and I posted it on my blog and on Instagram. And so, especially for me, um, when I saw this pie chart with like 19% of secondhand and 81% of new clothes, mm. whether they were gifted to me or not, I was thinking, wow, I actually have more work to do than, uh, than I thought I, I did. Of course, most of these are quite old, um, like 74, I'm looking at my pie charts right now, 74% um, of my clothes are over five years old. And I put five to be more inclusive, but to be honest, since I've been away uh, for 10 years, most of them are actually 10 years old. Um, yeah. I'm lucky to have my figure, 13% vintage and only 13% clothes of my clothes have been bought in the last five years. So I was still proud of that. But when you look at how much um, synthetic fabric you have, and it's mm -hmm. quite a lot, I have 39%. And it's something that I want to get rid of over time as well. I want to keep wearing the clothes that I already have because that's the most sustainable thing you can do. But once these synthetic clothing wear out, I'm not like anything new that I'm bringing to my closet right now. Nothing is going to be synthetic. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all going to be either natural or cellulosic. And cellulosic is this uh, bamboo rayon viscose, mm -hmm. which can be problematic as well. But at least it's made from plants. 
I don't know. It's problematic. Why is it problematic? Do I want to know? Um, <laughs> it, depends, it depends on the factory, actually, and also the harvesting. So if mm-hmm. it's made from eucalyptus trees of bamboo, bam, or bamboo, or because you do have all these fabrics, right? It's a lot of different trees uh, most of the time, the cellulose fabric. And so if it's harvested responsibly in a well-managed forest or it's something like bamboo that grows like crazy mm-hmm. and it, there's no people enslaved to do that as well because that's another issue of the fashion industry mm-hmm. i mean by enslaved uh, maybe that's not the right word just paid peanuts you know and not in the right conditions um if it's if it's harvested well all right and then you all have the processing in the factory you have to make it into a pulp you have to treat it you have to bleach it you have to use so many chemicals on that and so just as with synthetic fabric if that's not done responsibly in a good factory that trace um, um, treats their wastewater and doesn't release it in the environment as is you know then then that's okay if they do it right but if they release it with all these chemicals and these dyes because you do have to use a little bit more aggressive dyes than you would on a natural fabric like cotton or linen or or hemp um then like it contaminates everything around them and contaminates the river the 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 waterways if there's any fields growing food near Mm -hmm. that factory that gets contaminated as well in java there's um a lot of factories um including for H&M in one specific region close to the, I think, Chitterum River. And I've seen a beautiful documentary, but sad, beautiful but sad documentary about it. And unfortunately, they they actually did a study on the rice. They tested the rice that grows in the waterway um, where the factory dumps the water before it gets to the river. And the rice was contaminated with so many things. I wouldn't be able to tell you right now. You can find, uh, it's a DW documentary for free on YouTube. I think it's called The Most Polluted River, if anyone's uh-huh. interested in the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and they found so many bad things in the rice. And so you're thinking, well, first of all, the rice is treated with pesticides in the first place. And then you have all that stuff from the water that the rice uses to grow. And it's just horrible. And then people drink this water because it's Indonesia and um, they don't have any resources in, in some regions, including that region. So it's just it's just a human a humanitarian disaster as well as environment environmental. So the fashion industry. Yeah, that's why I did this. I just this uh, deep dive in my closet. I wanted to know. Mm-hmm. how much impact I had in the past and that also keeps motivating me to do better in the future and I was quite happy to see that several people wanted to do the same with their closet it is time consuming it took me quite a while because I have a lot of clothes yeah I, I will definitely do it, it now that I'm going on like winter holidays I'm so excited to go through my closet <laughs> It's enlightening. I, I I want to know, all right? When you do it, please tell me. I will. I'll read anybody- the pie charts. <laughs> yeah. If anybody else is listening and wants to do that deep dive in their closet as well now and do pie charts, mm-hmm. let me know. Like, come and tell me on Instagram or on my email. I want to know. I'm like, super excited about it. I think you should, we should definitely um, make this more of a thing because it's, it's such a good way to take responsibility and 
be more aware of the clothes we have as well. And just like you're saying, so many of us have these massive closets, which we probably don't even wear most of the clothes. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, no, yeah. I'm trying to like minimize my closet, but it, I don't know. Minimalism's difficult. I did it for a while when I was living out of a suitcase, but I, I still had, like, you know, you said all your stuff was in your sister's house. Like I had most of my clothes in a storage unit, but then when you need to consider like the different seasons and then wind and then the cold and then diving and, you know, formal, non-formal, it just adds up. And while what you're doing, which is, um, what's your little hashtag for it? Wearing the same clothes, rewearing, proud repeat outfits. Yeah, proud, be a proud outfit repeater. Being a proud outfit repeater. Like I yeah, fully sure believe in that. Well, that yeah. idea, I think it's amazing. But also I don't want to wear the same one formal dress to every formal occasion. Like I want to repeat mm-hmm. outfits, but I want a little bit of choice. You know what I mean? And as you said, luckily <laughs> our closets have enough that we don't need to buy new stuff. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I just think it's, I think what you said is interesting because minimalism is different also to everyone. Like sustainability is different Mm -hmm. to everyone. Minimalism is different to everyone. It's not going to look this, you're definitely, for example, between men and women, women are expected to be more diverse in their clothing as well than men are in, in general. I mean, um, of course this is a big generalization, but still applies to many many men and so it's okay if you're not as minimalistic as your neighbor or this girl on instagram Mm -hmm. or that other person you know like it's you do you right yeah and the fact that you're just saying you you want to declutter a little bit and you know and you, you want to be minimalistic a little bit more as well it's whatever like as long as you're doing something that's the thing I I say a lot is you don't have to be perfect you have to just keep trying um, to do things that are going to minimize your impact I am a strong believer that everybody should do something whatever Mm -hmm. is easiest for them and then just keep going you know start you start at the bottom and you keep climbing the ladder or you you know so yeah don't despair anyone who's (laughs) listening yeah no it's oh sorry no 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 no. don't be sorry i'm just reflecting okay just gonna add that i think the audit is one of the best ways to start if you want to be more responsible about anything um the closet audit that i did definitely made me realize okay i can still get rid of that and sell that as well um but i do need more jeans because I didn't have enough to mm-hmm. carry me through the season. As you were saying, the season all weather, it's not the same as in Bali. I can't wear shorts all the time, yeah. you know? Um, so that's uh, that's something that also came out of it. And I probably kept too many clothes as well, but because I haven't had seasonal weather in so long, I'm not sure. So I'm going to keep them for a little bit longer. And if I figure out that I don't need them in six months or a year, I'll sell them on. And I believe also in trying to sell them first rather than donating because mm-hmm. I have seen firsthand in Indonesia and Timor-Leste uh, where the clothes that we donate end up. Like they still have charity shop tags some of the times and they're 
ending up there in a small um, secondhand store there by the side of the road. And that's the stuff they kept because they buy it in bundles of like kilos. We don't know what's in the bundles because I, I talked to one of the shop owners and then they end up with so much stuff that they still throw away what they don't want to keep. And that ends up in a landfill. But instead of ending up in a landfill here or in an incinerator, I mean, here in Australia, Europe or whatever, it ends up there in a landfill that's probably open air and where, and you know, it's maybe it's going to get burned, but it's just going to go in the atmosphere and we all breathe the same air. Like even if a lot of people think, oh, well, the pollution is all the way over there in Africa or Asia and I'm not affected by it. That's not true. Like we all breathe the same air. Everything you know, in the water, everything is, uh, it's a big cycle. So we're all affected by everything and we should care about everyone on this planet everywhere. And I'm getting carried away again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's so, it's, there's a, there's a term about it, how, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing, just because mm -hmm. it's happening in a different country, we don't think it's affecting us and therefore it's easier to ignore. That's why I think the work you're doing is so important, especially, you know, being that person of privilege in Bali, being able to be like, hey, even though I'm here, you know, in a, in a place of privilege, I'm still trying to do my best. And these are ways you can take like accountability for your own life and our own choices. Because I don't know, I think it's just very inspiring that you're like, hey, this is where I'm at. And this is what I'm trying to do to kind of improve the situation. Yeah, and the because we, you just mentioned again privilege, I uh, that inspired me to talk about it more. I also think people with privilege are the ones who have the biggest responsibility mm -hmm. to actually be as green as they can because they have. Maybe you're not super rich, right? It's not, yeah. but the more rich you are, the more responsibility you have because the more impact because you have a bigger car or maybe you have two or three, you know, and some for your uh, 16 year old kid, because in the States, for example, you can't yeah. drive at that age. Um, maybe you, you eat more, you buy more food and you waste more of it. Again, supermarkets are even worse at this. Um, so like supermarkets are producing, like the supply chain is 15% of all the, like the food production is, uh, 26% of global emissions and then 15% are lost in uh, supply chain from that and 9% yeah. only is consumer so the consumer really is like just a little bit over half of it um, and the supermarkets and supply, supply chains are, are worse um, so yeah I got carried away again <laughs> <laughs> no you're not getting but, carried away at all um, I think it's very much on topic <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's, again, that comes back to the privilege. If you have privilege, mm -hmm. then, right? Um, what's a Spider-Man sentence? With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Let's translate that. With great privilege comes great responsibility, too. Yeah, um, I was, so I'm doing a diploma of sustainable living um, at university right now. And one of the units I took was about ethics and law and morality. And there was this really interesting um, like theory uh, under deontology, it's called Rawlsian ethics. And basically this, okay. this uh, professor, Mr. Dr. Rawls, I'm guessing, <laughs> his theory was that um, in, in 
in our planet, on our planet, in all of our populations, the way we should be taking care of the world or each other is that everyone works to make the lives of the least privileged as good as possible. And that just really resonated with me. So it doesn't matter, you know, if you're super rich or, you know, privileged enough or what level, if you're not at the very bottom, there are things you can do to help, you know, exactly. And it's, it's comparable to how much you have and what you can do and the time you have and all of those things. Um, so if you don't have money, you can donate some time. If you don't have time, you can give some money or um, some education or, you know, all of these things. Uh, and I just thought that was really well, like, phrased. And I can't believe we don't get taught about this more. So anyway, for anyone who's uh, curious, definitely check out John Rawls and his thoughts on um, how we should kind of treat other people because I was like yeah finally <laughs> like it's it's been vocalized great. <laughs> yeah um yeah I I remember that like when I was a university student you know the life of a university student you don't make much money and you're I don't know the the typical image is eating beans on toast every day um, I was very lucky to not be in that position uh I was eating some avocado and beans on toast. <laughs> uh, but in that case, I didn't have much money to give, but what I did was foster animals. And that was my little way of trying to contribute back, which is just try and take care of, like I, I figured if I have enough money and resources to have a roof over my own head, then I can probably feed a little four-legged mouth. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I, I think we all need to just take a moment. How do we want to help and what are we able to help with? And just kind of find something you're passionate about. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. There's, 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 there's so many little things you can do. Even spread mm. seeds in like an empty lot in the city, like to make a little community garden of things that are easy to grow and that mm -hmm. don't really need much attention and that are going to thrive on their own because they're local and they are resistant to whatever mm -hmm. weather and they'll just with whatever rain you get of course desserts are different we, we established that but still like you you were saying there's food in the bush so yeah there's yeah. so many little things that everybody can do and education is one too just stalking that costs no money that doesn't cost much time because you always are going to be talking to someone at some point of mm -hmm. your day and yeah talking about all these issues and whatever you're doing better to influence your peers mm -hmm. that's that's already something so everybody has a little power um and yeah we should use it like you said and like your professor said it sounds great really hmm. yeah um so sorry back back to your blog um the reason i wanted to talk to you about uh sustainable fashion is because clearly it's such a massive impact on our planet but also you talk about the the items that we don't necessarily talk about as often, which is the underwear and the socks and, you know, these things that you don't necessarily want to buy secondhand. And I was just wondering when when you are doing research about these companies, like what are the things that you're looking for or what do you recommend for people to look for if they do need to buy some things new? Well, the first thing I look at nowadays is, is it ethical? Because... Mm -hmm um it, the people that have made my clothes I want them to be paid properly I don't mm -hmm. want somebody to suffer 
for whatever I'm wearing, especially when it comes to underwear and socks. Imagine someone suffered to make your little panty, you know? Yeah. That's, that's not a way. Like a mom bringing her kid with her to the factory and being sexually harassed by her supervisor and things like that. That's just, that, that's, uh, yeah, ethical is one of the most important uh, things that I look at in the beginning. Because mm-hmm. first of all, if you're going to be ethical about humans, most of the time they're also going to be ethical about and so sustainable about the environment and choose better materials better factories because if you choose a better factory for human rights that factory is normally going to be better as well with your wastewater and stuff like that if it's dying um because they invested in that and they know that that supply chain is going to look for something sustainable so they have kind of have connect have connection connections yeah, ethical for that. And then I look at the materials, like I said, if it's natural materials or if it's um, at least like a cellulosic, like we talked about before, mm-hmm. but made in a respectable factory. And then we come back to, the, you know, to being ethical. Uh, so it's all it's all linked to together. Um, that's that's mainly the the things I uh, I look at. And then I started looking at as well um, as to the employees, especially mm-hmm. this is hard to find out if you're just looking at the website, but there's some tips. Like if you see that there is people of color in the photos or people oh, yeah. of all different body shapes and ages, like that also tells you that this company is not invested in like this lean white girl in a bikini nothing against them they're beautiful but I don't relate to them I mean I don't feel like her maybe other people look at me and think oh yeah you're like that but I don't feel like that and mm-hmm. yeah. I definitely don't have the same body to wear in the same way as they do no way like angles on photos are great because if you see me in real life I don't look exactly perfect I have defects everybody does also these girls they probably um photoshopped a little bit too you know yeah so there's one website, for example, um, that sells swimsuit. And they have ladies that are in their 60s that are models on their websites and people of color, like all colors too. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's something I love because that means, that means that they're inclusive and it's important to be inclusive because that's a thing of sustainable fashion is that a lot of the time it caters to this small ladies and yeah everybody like just like with food just food justice and social justice that fashion should be inclusive for everyone as well like if you because you're plus size you can't um find any find much in secondhand stores you know because maybe your size is not as well as the extra small and the small or medium you know you find a lot of that but maybe if you're xxl or whatever well maybe even more you can't find anything for yourself and in sustainable fashion either. So if it's inclusive, that's also something that I like. Yeah. And I think you also mentioned like age. I feel like people are now catching on to the, you know, different skin tones and even plus size and everything. But age is something I haven't actually seen in most ad campaigns. And it's, it's so important for us to not, dread getting older essentially and just see aging as um a privilege it's another privilege that you know in this modern world we get to have longer lifespans and all of that yeah 
very true um i do i do want to ask you one question which is so i've opened a few of these um like because i need new underwear <laughs> i've opened a few of these like underwear um companies that you you know you mentioned on your website same with the socks ones and the first thing that i see is like the price right so the socks are 20 dollars for a pair of socks the bras are yeah. 48 pounds on a different place it's 53 swiss francs so these are quite large numbers how do you deal with that like well the price how do you deal with investing in it or making that choice do you find it difficult well it's it's it used to be i used to look at it and think wow this is this is actually insane but um i wrote about the cost per wear maybe mm -hmm. for underwear it's not as relevant but if you look at a dress that is sustainable and that costs you let's say a hundred dollars and you bought another one at h&m for twenty dollars for example yeah and maybe the one at h&m you just bought like oh because it's cheap you just bought it it's in trend uh, you might not like it anymore in a while, or actually it's going to fall apart because although the workers that work for H&M in factories are skilled, you know, they can't, they have to work with the fabrics and etc. So if, like fast fashion pieces do tend to fall apart a bit faster. Um, yeah. So if you look at that dress from H&M, you're going to wear it maybe, let's say, 10 times. It was $20 originally, it's gonna cost you $2. But that dress from the sustainable brand was $100 and you're gonna wear it 30 times or more, mm -hmm. right? And because 30 times is the minimum amount that you should wear your clothing or you know, it should be 100 even. And then if you look at the cost per wear, then that's what, let's say you wear it 100 times, it's $1. Um, so that's, that's one thing to look at. But also when you think about the, Again, it comes back to human rights and being ethical. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't, like I was actually in Bali with underwear that had holes in it by the mm -hmm. end of it because I didn't want to go to H&M, which they do have in Bali and buy underwear there just because I, I really do need it. I did need some. But I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. You know, mm -hmm. um, I know I'm going to be in Europe soon and I'm going to buy ethical underwear. And I had the boxes at my sister's waiting for me when I got there. Um, and that's it. If you, if you save money in other areas, then it doesn't bother me to spend more on underwear because I save money with my cleaning products. I save money on so many things with the zero waste, well, low waste living. So but again, that speaks of my privilege, right? Maybe not everybody can do that. And that's where, all right, if you can't do that, if you really, really can't put um, some more extra money into this underwear or socks or bras or whatever, then yeah, do what you have to do, right? It's all about surviving, but just do something else um, that's sustainable and that you can do. And again, I also do want to say that when, the price of fashion nowadays, like um, especially H&M and Boohoo and uh, small, like cheap Primark, fashion, uh, cheap brands like that, they brought down the price of clothing so much. And that is through yeah. people suffering. And that's not the norm. It didn't used to be the norm. And it shouldn't be the norm anymore either. 
Um, and again, if you're if you're struggling financially, then yeah, go to Twitch and then buy some underwear. You know, <laughs> like don't go commando unless you like it. You know, whatever. Whatever you want to. But what I mean is like the norm of the pricing of clothing is wrong right now. Um, That's true. When you look at yeah, when you look at jeans at H and M, they're so cheap. But when you look at Levi, who is also they're tr- they're they're doing some things that I'm like, is it greenwashing? It's not really great because you're still not ethical. During the pandemic, they canceled orders, but had already been processed. They didn't pay for them still, uh, I believe. So, I mean, but their jeans are what like a hundred dollars, and then you have other sustainable brands of denim, and their jeans are about the same price. Some of them are even cheaper you know mm-hmm. so then when you look at like normal priced items like that are a bit more luxury like levi or even underwear if you go to some super like not supermarkets sorry some uh, malls and you look at brands that are not h&m underwear like a piece of underwear can cost 10 10 dollars uh, or i yeah, used to easy. have bras like especially if you need quite supportive bras which I do when I was growing up I couldn't buy bras at H&M they weren't good enough like I needed to buy the more a bit more luxurious bras and I bought less of them um and they cost like some of them like 50 to 100 um dollars and that's that's the price of a sustainable bra or even you know so at the at the end of the day if your reference point is not H&M sustainable fashion is not that expensive but again that includes people that do have a bit more disposable income than maybe a single mother trying to feed three kids on two yeah. jobs right doesn't apply to to them no i think i think you've also mentioned a really important part that i was going to bring up later and that was the cost per wear thing which is yeah. and i don't know i find it like in my personal experience I'll like invest in some really nice pieces. And as you said, I'll wear them a lot. But then there's also mm-hmm. really random things I keep wearing. Like I've bought a couple of shirts that I wear to work and I don't like them, but I swear mm-hmm. I've worn them at least 30 times already this year. So yeah. I should have just bought stuff I really liked. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know why I have this weird relationship with fashion. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, complicated it's complicated it's uh it depends everybody's relationship status with fashion is a bit different <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um but i'll get to it one day i'm, yeah. I'm planning yeah, now treat- to like you know reach my fashion goals <laughs> yeah um it, yeah, it takes time also yeah to learn what truly, like when you're a teenager you're still like also finding out your style and what you really like and mm-hmm. you know i've when I did my decluttering especially in the beginning now I'm more down to my basics my classics kind of thing but in the beginning I was like how did I ever think this was a good look for me you know but you test things out in the beginning building up your closet it takes a while to build a closet that really goes through the season and through the years and trends as well so yeah, that's, uh, you also shouldn't be feeling too bad about that, that you, you, maybe you're still on the way. I mean, I just finally start, I'm starting now to have a closet that really does look like me. And mm-hmm. I'm not even sure I still, I still like it because it was from 10 years ago. So we'll find out. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's, a, it's a bit so, of a process, definitely. Um, yeah. And if you're not sure about a trend or you're not sure if that's good for your body or something like that, before you buy it, you can 
by its like like a swap with a friend, you know, like I did that in Bali. I was seeing um how do you call these in English? Overalls. I was seeing them everywhere. I think mm-hmm. they're back in trend now. Yeah. And I was oh, I used to have them as a teenager and I really liked them and maybe I should buy a pair. And I saw my friend had some and we're about the same size. So I was like, can I borrow your overalls for a week? And I tried them for a week and I wore them all the time. And I actually got them out of my system because I was like, I am a very petite, short person. Mm -hmm. And they didn't look good on me. They made me look even shorter than I actually am. They were not flattering. I loved wearing them, but they were not a good look. And I did not like the fact that when you go to the bathroom, you have to struggle with the strap. So I got it out of my system. I didn't spend any money, you know, and I, yeah, I had fun with it for two weeks while my friend left them to me and then I gave them back to her and she still has them because they do look great on her because she's much taller. Yeah. And so that's also a good way to figure out if you like the trends, just swap with friends, you know, and it doesn't have to be forever. If you, if your friend wants to try something as well, just be generous, just, you know, lend it. And then if you like something maybe you can do clothes swaps that are permanent or whatever and second hand is always going to be better for the environment if you do want to try a trend than um than buying new and if you can't find it in a charity shop a lot of the times um you can set up an alert on ebay that's i also love like other apps like vinted but ebay does have that feature that you can say I'm looking for this specific piece, these like H&M boots that I saw that I don't want to buy it straight from H&M. You can be sure that in six months or even less, someone your size is going to put them on eBay because they're no longer going to going to want them, and you're going to get them at like a third of the price or half of the price that they were. So, and it's going to be more eco-friendly because it's secondhand. So that's my tips, I guess. Oh, those those are great. And somehow we've spent a whole hour talking about just one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> let's, let's do a third podcast then. <laughs> I think we'll have Next to. Time. <laughs> yeah. Next time composting. Amazing. Yes. Um, thank you so much for coming uh, and chatting to me. This this has been really lovely and I'm already feel so pumped. I'm looking at some the organic basics. I'm really loving those um yeah yeah they're great for and I have a discount code for that and I'm currently wearing right now I'm wearing (laughs) um stripe and stare underwear and they are so soft Um, I also have a discount code for that one so amazing well yeah you gotta send me those and of course send me the links to the documentary all these discount codes because um yeah it would be great to just encourage people to you know oh and also one thing I just wanted to mention um, I did just go on to War On to have a look and they have things on sale. So what I do, if I don't want to spend a lot of money, but still buy sustainable, just check out their sales section. Like their bras are down to 20 Swiss francs. Uh, that's 60% off. So there's still ways to get cheaper, new, sustainable. Well, options. I need new bras. I'm going to go there. I didn't know they were having a sale now. Yeah, I just noticed I'm <laughs> telling everyone. They might be um, sold out by the time uh, you hear this, but Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Thanks so much, Laura. No problem. Thank you for having me again.